The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Schizophrenia Community Radio. By listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio, you'll be joining, supporting, and gaining strength from the schizophrenia community. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 4 of Schizophrenia Community Radio. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is whether psychoses should be decriminalized. Now, psychoses, also called psychotic disorders, are severe mental disorders that cause abnormal thinking and perceptions. People with psychoses lose touch with reality. And two of the main symptoms are delusions and hallucinations. Delusions are false beliefs such as thinking that someone is plotting against you or that the TV is sending you secret messages. Hallucinations are false perceptions, such as hearing, seeing or feeling something that simply is not there. Schizophrenia is one type of psychosis. Now, on August 18, 2015, the John Howard Society of the province of Ontario, the Canadian province of Ontario, released a new report called Unlocking Change, Decriminalizing Mental Health Issues in Ontario. The report outlines a plan for decriminalizing mental health issues in Ontario. It urges Ontario to stop relying on the justice system as a key responder to individuals who have mental health issues. It lists mental health issues as mental illnesses, addictions, acquired or traumatic brain injuries, traumas, developmental disabilities, dementias, and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. But it recognizes that other types of mental health disabilities may be may have to be added to the list, and it does not list psychoses, which raises the question, today's question, of whether psychoses, psychoses should be decriminalized. And that's why our topic, today's topic, whether psychoses should be decriminalized, is so important, and so important not only to the schizophrenia community, but the family caregiver community and the wider community in general. Now to discuss it, our guest is Dr. Chris Somerville, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada. So welcome to the show, Chris. Hello, Dr. Atherley. Great. Now first question for you. Please tell us about the role of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada as a national organization. Chris? Well, it was in 1979 that Bill Jeffries, uh, who was a family member, uh, he had a, a sibling uh, with schizophrenia. And uh, at that time in 1979 uh, in Canada as well as in the United States, there was not a strong advocacy group. In fact, there was no advocacy group or organization or national organization 
that paid attention to the concerns of health care providers, that is family health care providers, family caregivers as we call them today. And so uh, Dr. Jeffries uh, started the Schizophrenia Society of Ontario and then shortly thereafter the Schizophrenia Society of Canada. And uh, we uh, are a member of the Canadian Alliance of Mental Illness and Mental Health today, which is uh, a national organization of 18 uh, specific mental health national organizations, either health care providers or family caregivers or people with lived experience of, of, of mental illness. So our mission is to improve the quality of life of those affected by schizophrenia and psychosis uh, through public education, awareness, uh, one-on-one consultation, peer support, research, and advocacy. Right. Now, the next question is to ask you to tell us about the way the Schizophrenia Society of Canada handles discussions of psychoses. And what I really mean by that is, what's your approach to bringing the members of this very wide community into the discussions that need to be held. Chris? Well, I think we're rather forthright and frank about our discussions and dialogues uh, and teachings on psychosis. Um, as I said earlier, um, we we work with 10 provincial schizophrenia societies, and all of them uh, do public education uh, seminars and workshops on psychosis. And uh, we try to educate uh, people as early as possible in terms of uh, even, you know, young adolescents, uh, sometimes working with guidance counselors and social workers or going in and talking specifically to classrooms uh, about uh, psychoses. Uh, psychosis is a symptom of several illnesses or conditions such as epilepsy, Alzheimer's, brain tumor, trauma, as you said earlier, um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Uh, 3% of the population lives with psychosis, and 1% will eventually be diagnosed as having some form of uh, schizophrenia. So we're very strong on public education. Uh, we, we have a workshop for family members that's called Strengthening Families Together, and some of the provinces have specifically uh, targeted youth so that youth become very knowledgeable about uh, this brain disorder. Now, I want to follow on by asking you to describe more about the work of the Schizophrenia Society, especially, but not um, exclusively, as it relates to psychoses. So, first of all, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada has its own website. Um, what, the, what is the work of that website in supporting the community of people with schizophrenia or living with schizophrenia? Chris? Well, basically, a good website, and I, I think ours is, it's uh, schizophrenia.ca. Schizophrenia.ca is the website. And uh, it's educational in terms of discussing what schizophrenia is and what psychosis is, uh, what uh, treatments are available, uh, the need for early intervention, because the sooner you intervene, the less likely that you would go on to develop full-blown uh, schizophrenia. Um, there are various links uh, for educators, for teachers, uh, for family members, uh, for people with lived experience. Um, our banner roll, uh, for example, right now carries uh, information about a caregiver uh, webinar that's going to be held free of charge um, in the next month. And uh, 
So we, we make information uh, available uh, about um, the, these two particular uh, illnesses and uh, connect people with the Provincial Schizophrenia Society. So the Schizophrenia Society of Canada d- doesn't uh, do workshops. Uh, the groundwork is done by the local Schizophrenia Society. Now, let me just follow up on that particular one. In other words, you are a resource for the nation as a whole, um, doing all the things you've just been describing through your website and in other ways. But what you're not doing, and I want to know if what I'm saying is correct, is actually providing individual one-on-one services through. Is that right, Right. If we, I mean, we'll get a call or we'll get an email uh, occasionally from someone who calls the national number directly. And uh, what I do is I put them in touch with their Provincial Schizophrenia Society because it's much better that they have a personal ongoing relationship with someone on the ground rather than from a distance. And so the local Schizophrenia Society will, will contact that person and create a relationship. So we're all about creating relationships so that there can be that mutual support and uh, and giving people the information they need in terms of caregiving and understanding uh, schizophrenia psychosis as best as possible. Yep. Now, you mentioned youth a moment ago. Please tell us more about your the way in which you provide information for youth as a community and the kind of focus that that uh, work, uh, that information that you provide has. Chris? Well, if we refer back to the website, uh, there are two links on the website. One is about substance use and and how it's correlated uh, with the the onset of psychosis and schizophrenia. Uh, The other link uh, is cannabis and and psychosis, and that was the largest uh, research grant that we ever received from Health Canada in which it was um, peer-led, and we had um, uh, young people who had experienced psychosis and use of cannabis, and they interviewed a good number of young people in terms of trying to understand, you know, the, the, the relationship between cannabis use and psychosis and, and how many of the young people gave up the use of cannabis because it, it worsened their psychosis or interfered with their medication. So that that would be the website, but then our Provincial Schizophrenia Society, some of them have what's called partnership programs in which a, a mental health service provider, a caregiver, and a person with psychosis or schizophrenia will actually go out to schools and give presentations. And so each will give their story from their perspective of how they deal with psychosis or schizophrenia. Just a quick comment back to you. This is right, isn't it? That um, it's in the late teens and early times of adulthood that all types of mental illnesses tend to develop first. So therefore, youth, if I'm right in what I just said, the youth is a particularly important target for information and advice. Uh, Do you agree with what I just said? Well, certainly I would agree with you as the Mental Health Commission of Canada uh, has observed uh, 70%, at least 70% of mental illnesses have their formation in late childhood or early adolescence. And for schizophrenia, it's generally between age um, 17 and uh, 24, let's say. And that's why it's sometimes... uh, 
especially in the past, used to be referred to as youth's greatest disabler because it does hit in the prime of life during youth. It also hits in the prime of life of young people who um, are showing a happy life ahead of them because they're talented or because of the way they enjoy things. And then, as I understand it, what happens is this condition begins to overtake them and it takes a while for families and family caregivers to figure out First of all, what the problem might be or where to go for help. Now, just very quickly, have I got that one right, too? Well, again, uh, yes, it affects one's overall health, especially one's mental health. In terms of it being a mental illness, it interferes with education or delays it. Uh, the maturational development of the, the young person is interrupted, and uh, life is put on hold for many people, especially if they do not receive treatment. Right. Now, we've reached the time where I always say that we have to pay the rent, meaning we're going to have to take a short break. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. The Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel, from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, Please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is whether psychoses should be decriminalized. Now, 
Chris, let's talk about the challenges associated with psychoses that may lead to involvement with the criminal justice system. And of, by talking about the criminal justice system, we mean the police, we mean the courts, we mean jails, we mean detention centers. So in other words, what are the challenges associated with psychoses that can lead people into those kind of facilities, those kinds of systems. So first off, what do you see as the mental health challenges associated with psychoses that are most likely to lead to individuals' involvement with the criminal justice system? Chris? Well, Dr. Anthony, first I like the fact that you said may lead to involvement with the criminal justice system because most people with a mental illness, even schizophrenia and psychosis, uh, do not come in conflict um, with the criminal justice uh, system. But, however, uh, we do know that uh, the prison system has become, by default, the largest mental health asylum, not only in Canada, but also in the United States. And I think that the mental health challenges associated with psychoses that are most likely to lead the, to individual involvement with the criminal justice system are several things. Uh, number one, lack of uh, true prevention and promotion. Uh, we need to do a whole lot more um, education in terms of prevention and, and promotion and, and probably starting even in childhood elementary school talking about brain disorders and brain illnesses. Uh, but we somehow or another have... Uh, difficulty talking about anything above the neck. So we need to, so to speak, put the head back on the body and talk about the head as well. So lack of prevention and promotion. Secondly, lack of mental health services. Certainly that's a great mental health challenge in our country. And because of lack of mental health services, uh, people do not get the timely and appropriate uh, intervention, and uh, let alone the detection. And then thirdly, lack of first episode clinics. Uh, we do have uh, a number of first episode clinics across Canada, but we don't have nearly enough as far as uh, prevalence in the, in, the, in the population of Canada. A first episode clinic is, um, is a, a team of people who work with um, young people uh, when they are first having symptoms of schizophrenia or psychosis called the prodromal period. And so they will even make house visits. But the main goal is early um, intervention, early identification, and early treatment. Because I said earlier, sometimes you can avoid full-blown schizophrenia uh, through these first episode clinics, also called uh, early psychosis uh, clinics. And... Um, Finally, I would say that uh, another mental health challenge um, that leads to involvement with the criminal justice system is uh, purely lack of early intervention, and uh, uh, that's, that's major. I mean, uh, too many people uh, go too long without treatment, and that's due to shortages of psychiatrists and psychologists and lack of psychological supports and services and long waiting times. My understanding is that in Toronto, uh, you can wait up to a year to to see a psychiatrist. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you uh, the same kind of question, but this one is, what do you see as the societal challenges associated with psychoses that are most likely to lead to individuals' involvement with the criminal justice system? So in other words, what I'm talking about is the kind of society that we have um, that and the kind of challenges that it might create for the kind of people you've been talking about who need 
care and help at an early stage. Chris? Well, as I said earlier, society needs to understand that brain disorders and brain illnesses such as psychosis and, 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 and uh, schizophrenia uh, are serious and potentially the most devastating kinds of illnesses, according to the World Health Organization, that an individual can experience. The good news is that they are treatable and recovery is possible with the support of a caring community. Now, what happened is 60 years ago, we had this movement called deinstitutionalization. So in the 1960s, under uh, Trudeau and Kennedy, uh, both the United States and Canada downsized and closed uh, many of the mental health hospitals uh, that used to be known as asylums. And the expectation was that with the newer medications at that time, that people could live successfully and integrate in the community if there were the proper community supports and services, such as housing, mental health workers, that type of thing, and addiction services. What happened is that the money that was supposed to have been spent by the closing of the hospitals never flowed over into the community. And so we see the leftovers today, even 60 years later, of people uh, on the streets, uh, the homeless, people with addictions, problems, not getting the services. Uh, and then also many people in the first and late stages of psychosis who um, either are wandering the street or are in the largest um, mental health asylum, uh, which is the prison uh, system. So jails have replaced the uh, as as asylums. Uh, also, society uh, needs to see this as a human rights issue. Uh, the United Nations uh, calls the warehousing of people in prisons a form of torture. And um, I think Canada has, has, has been reprimanded for that by the, the UN. Uh, society should see it as a social justice issue. Why? Because with all we know about the successful treatment of psychosis and being one of the wealthiest countries in the world and not to provide the kinds of supports and services in the community as, as well as medical treatment is in fact not just a health issue but a social justice issue. Right. Now, <clears throat> third question, again, the same lines but a little bit different. What do you see as the mental health care system challenges associated with psychoses that are most likely to lead to individuals' involvement with the criminal justice system? What I mean by mental health care system challenges, you've already mentioned, basically, you've said they're not adequate, they're not there when they're needed. But what other challenges, or if you've more to say about that, please say it, what other challenges you, do you see coming from the mental health care system that cause people to be involved with the criminal justice system. Chris? Well, we need to understand that the, the jails uh, were never created to be therapeutic, but actually, you know, they're places where we punish people, even though I believe that they should uh, be restorative in nature, nature and uh, have uh, rehabilitation at the core of their work and to promote uh, recovery. But unfortunately, the worst place that you can receive mental health care is in a jail or a prison. They just are not equipped. Again, uh, there are far more shortages of psychiatrists and psychological support services uh, in the prison system than there is in the general uh, society or, or popu population. 
So uh, people don't get the kind of uh, treatment that they need, and some do not get any treatment at all uh, that end up in uh, the involved with the criminal justice uh, system. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of advocacy of, of uh, first of all, um, decriminalizing uh, mental illness and psychosis uh, by diverting people from the prison system. So diversion is the concept where you divert people from the regular uh, criminal justice system and they either are taken to a hospital immediately rather than to a detention center. Uh, far too many are waiting in detention centers, waiting to be uh, sentenced or waiting on jail. Um, so um, that, that's very important to, to, uh, to address that element. Now, one just additional point is that there are things called detention centers where people wait not because they've been convicted of anything, but because mm. they haven't yet been to trial. And in the less well-endowed communities where families are poor, um, there simply isn't the money to pay for the bail so that the people can mm -hmm. leave the detention center. Right. Now, is that, is that a factor that you would Yes, that, that's true. We get many calls. Uh, the Schizophrenia Societies of Canada uh, across the, the country get many calls, as well as the national body, from family members who will say, you know, my son uh, was arrested and is in the detention center. And oftentimes the family have called the police because they see that the avenue of getting at least some help is is through the judicial system that's unfortunate because matters uh, potentially can even get worse but that's that's how a lot of people initially get some psychiatric or psychological help is by involvement with the criminal justice system but another diversion uh, would be mental health courts and so mental health courts take into consideration the mental illness and uh, assist the person with treatment and recovery and housing and reintegration back into um, the uh, community. And, and, and then if they have been charged, uh, that, that charge is dropped if they complete the program. Right. Now, once again, it's time to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
On the morning of August 5, 1962, the world awoke to the shocking news that Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest icons in Hollywood history, had been found dead. What really happened that night? Join Nina Bosky as she seeks to uncover both the life and tragic death of Marilyn Monroe and what keeps her so popular over 50 years later. Good Night Marilyn Radio, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is whether psychoses should be decriminalized. Now, Chris, in the previous segment, you identified challenges, serious challenges associated with psychoses that may lead to involvement with the criminal justice system. Now, you mentioned, I think, what you would probably call problems, challenges with the criminal justice system. That's the way I describe back to you what you said to me. Now, let's discuss the ways in which these challenges are actually handled by the criminal justice system. So my first question to you is, how and how well are the mental health challenges associated with psychoses handled by the criminal justice system? How well? Chris? Well, quite frankly, not very well at all. I mean, this horrible conditions that people are placed in. About 16 to 25 percent of the prison population upon entry has a diagnosable uh, mental illness, and yet, you know, there's the lack of mental health services, appropriate mental health services within uh, prisons and jails. Uh, a practice uh, that is growing day by day is isolation. That people with mental illness are placed in isolation, uh, just so as to, to because prison guards uh, can't spend all their time you know working with um, or rather correctional officers uh, can't spend all their time with the individual and sometimes it's for the individual's uh, protection and the stigma towards people with mental illness uh, by the prison population and so correctional officers uh, unfortunately have little understanding about psychosis and stigma is rampant uh, within the the prison, not only by inmates, but also correctional officers. Um, so um, uh, the, the, mental, the, the uh, criminal justice system, uh, the correctional investigator Howard Sapers has released numerous reports calling for a reform, an overhauling 
of the prison system in Canada, the correctional justice system, and the ending of isolation, and uh, actually that there be um, special uh, hospital-like units built uh, that can address the mental illness directly rather than being in a, a punitary uh, setting. Yeah. Now, next question. They're all very all parallel, these questions, but they're driving down into a level of detail. Now, so next, how and how well are the societal challenges associated with psychoses handled by the criminal justice? And if I take from what you said before, the societal challenges are, first of all, that the idea was that 60 years ago that we didn't need facilities um you just lived in the community and everything would be okay um what those weren't your words exactly but that was the message i got now therefore the societal challenges as you've said are still with us because there aren't the facilities so how well does the criminal justice system cope with those challenges chris well, let's take discharge planning. I mean, discharge planning should happen on day one of entry within a prison or jail, but that doesn't take place. And, and, and so what happens is that people go around and around the circle, the revolving door, in and out of prison because there's not effective discharge planning done. So, for example, housing. We now know that housing first programs are the effective way to go. They are a best practice that once a person has a house to live in and it becomes home, they're more likely to be adherent to medication or they're less likely to overuse emergency services, emergency rooms, that type of thing, and hospital rooms. And uh, so we could do a much better job societally uh, by providing housing first, do better discharge planning by the criminal justice system. Uh, we need to put a limit on police record checks uh, because that results in uh, prejudice, stigma, and discrimination in terms of people being able to to be a volunteer or to get a job. So police record checks should be limited. Um, we need to address uh, co-occurring disorders of addiction uh, because uh, 70% of those in prison, in the prison system, have an addiction of some sort. And if that addiction is not taken care of and treated and there are not additional addiction services and harm reduction services, then the person is far more likely to be reinvolved with the criminal justice system uh, again. So as a society, I think we have to look at what kind of country we want to be when it comes to how we treat people who come in conflict with the criminal justice system. I mean, how humanitarian do we want to be? Uh, how much of a social justice perspective or lens uh, do we uh, put upon these issues? And, and, and looking at the human rights factor, that um, all human beings are of worth and value and have significance no matter what. And the, the need is to provide an array and a variety of services that address the multiplicity uh, of problems that the individual may be struggling with, such as trauma, for example. So trauma-informed care is very important because psychosis can be the result of PTSD or trauma or early childhood abuse, and oftentimes those issues are not addressed 
from a, lot, a psychological support uh, perspective. Now, again, it's the same sort of question, but it's drilling down. How well are the mental health care system challenges associated with psychoses handled by the criminal justice system? Now, let me just pick, recall some of the things you said. The mental health care system, to put it at its simplest, if I've understood you right, doesn't have enough of the capabilities of the system of the uh, facilities, um, of the personnel to provide the kind of system that uh, is needed out there in society to take care, provide care for the people who are released from, from jail, detention centers and the rest of it. So how well does the mental health care system um, respond, but this is putting it backwards, to the challenges those create to the, to the criminal justice system. Chris? Well, each mental health care system uh, in each uh, major city of every province uh, has a forensic unit, so forensic mental health, and that would involve psychiatry, a social worker, uh, different types of other service providers that are to help the person reintegrate into community. And, and, and so um, in some places we do well, in other places we don't do so well. And, and the places that we don't do well at all are in the more rural communities. And unfortunately, the more rural you go, the more stigma, the, the harder it is to get uh, mental health services, and uh, people are more likely to languish and, and not receiving the help. I mean, you know, when the mental, when the mental health system fails to treat mental illness, uh, the justice system punishes the symptoms. Uh, as someone has said, uh, when the health care system fails to treat mental illness, then the justice system punishes the symptoms. Well, that's not a very good health care uh, system when, you know, de facto the um, justice system becomes... The, the mental health system and basically responds by punishing the individual in terms of their uh, symptoms. One of the things that prison systems should do is to screen for mental illness. Uh, so every person that enters a jail or prison system uh, should be screened for mental illness and special attention given to that individual, uh, even if at minimum it's the creation of a mental health unit uh, within uh, the system. Now, let's just go a little bit further into that. As I'm understanding it from you, Chris, there's a system called the criminal justice system, which was never intended to be a mental health care system, yet it's, for one reason or another, placed in that role. The mental health care system, which um, I'm getting from you, functions reasonably well, if that's a fair way of putting it, in the larger centers, but isn't so good in what it provides in the rural centers, the, the, distant, the distant places. Now, that's a contradiction, isn't it? That is to say, what the system that should be providing services um, isn't doing so well in certain places, and the criminal justice system is, is for whatever purpose of reason, uh, being charged with or effectively left with solving this kind of problem. 
Chris, what do you say to that? Well, uh, I think your perception is um, uh, accurate. Uh, you know, for example, in Toronto or Calgary or Vancouver, I mean, there are many good mental health services, and uh, a lot of people do get help. Uh, in, in, in Manitoba here in Winnipeg, where I'm located, uh, we have a unique uh, unit that's called the Mental Health uh, Crisis Center. So rather than going to an emergency room, you can immediately go to the Mental Health Crisis Center in Winnipeg. And rather going through the triage system, you're, you're able to uh, get mental health uh, counseling or um, an assess- mental health assessment and also uh, an appointment uh, with a mental health service provider or psychiatrist. I mean, what people need to realize is that from a business case, it's far more expensive to put people in jail than to provide them with proper medical and psychological treatments. It's far more expensive and and less expensive if we provided them the medical and psychological treatments up front. But uh, we don't do it that way. And so here we are building more prisons and putting more people in jail. And um, 16 to 25% of those people uh, will have uh, some sort of diagnosable mental illness. It's unconscionable. Yep. Now, we've come to the point once more where we're going to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your best legal defense is the show that's here to answer your legal questions. Hosted by Lonnie McDowell. One of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys, our program will answer your questions about the criminal justice system, even if you need to be anonymous. Lonnie demonstrates a firm understanding of the legal system, and his guests have experience in a number of facets of the law. Be prepared. Tune in. Your best legal defense airs Saturdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, Please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. 
Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is whether psychoses should be decriminalized. Um, Chris, let's discuss this question, the, the key question of whether psychoses should be decriminalized. So would you like to say just a quick word about what decriminalization actually means? Chris? It means that... Um we would not punish people who have a mental illness. And because of their mental illness, they've come in conflict with the law. And most of the time, it's not for things like uh, uh, murder. Uh, it can be aggravated assault. Many of them, as we'd call them in the, the States, uh, are, are misdemeanors. We don't use that terminology here in Canada. But um, it's uh, not to criminalize them and to have them languishing in jails and prisons, not receiving the proper treatment. Um, that's wrong, and it's very wrong indeed. And um, uh, our society should be ashamed of the way we treat people with mental illness by sending them through the largest mental health asylum in Canada and the United States, and that's the criminal justice system, the prison system that we have. And so our conscience should be uh, burning very hotly uh, because uh, we allow this and there's not the advocacy needed. I know the John Howard Society is advocating very strongly for reform, and the Schizophrenia Society of Canada does, as well as our 10 provincial Schizophrenia Society counterparts. Right. Now, this is a follow-up question to what you've just said. Um, What is the case that can be made for decriminalizing psychoses? Chris? Well, I think we go back to what I said earlier, and and that is, what kind of country do we want to be? And to see this issue that we've been talking on this episode, uh, that it is indeed a social justice issue, because we can do a much better job. We have the science. uh, We know the best practices. And we know that people do not get better uh, in the in the criminal justice system. And so we need more diversion uh, processes, uh, need more mental health courts and drug courts. Uh, People shouldn't be sitting in uh, detention or remand centers uh, for long periods of time without appropriate uh, services. Um, uh, Forthrightly, uh, we should see it and name it as it is, that it's a human rights issue. And, and that it's a violation of one's basic right to health and uh, right to health care. And so, consequently, what happens is society pays the price with clogged courts, uh, overcrowded dysfunctional jails, and uh, preventable um, encounters that sometimes escalate tragically, as has been said by uh, a number of people. So it's a crisis. We have to see it for that. Uh, we have a crisis in Canada in our criminal justice system. It needs to be overhauled, uh, reformed. It, it needs to uh, return back to what it once was when I first came to Canada in 1985 from the States. Um, there was more talk about uh, restorative justice, uh, rehabilitation, and now we know about recovery, that people can learn to live beyond the limitations of mental illness. That's uh, the essence of recovery. 
and um, and and then personally, you know, I believe in the concept of redemption. So the four R's are needed to reform uh, our penal system. Right. Now, what changes do you see as essential for the mental health care system or systems prior to any efforts to decriminalize psychoses? Chris? Fundamentally, we have to increase mental health spending. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Uh, the Mental Health Commission of Canada uh, in its uh, first ever, Canada's first ever uh, mental health strategy uh, called upon the federal government to increase spending on mental health uh, from um, 7% to 9% over a 10-year period, and the federal government has not responded uh, to date. The Mental Health Commission of Canada now knows that it got that figure wrong and that we should be increasing mental health spending to 12% to be more in line with places like Australia, uh, New England, New Zealand, or England, rather, and, and New Zealand. Uh, healthcare budgets, when you look at healthcare budgets from province to province, where do you find mental health? The budget line for mental health is always at the very bottom. And it averages somewhere between 4 to 6%, depending on the province. So increasing mental health spending, we're not going to get anywhere uh, with our novel thinking, with all of our research, all the literature, all the pontifications that we do, or all the advocacy we do, unless we have that fundamental element addressed. And again, I say that's increased mental health spending, both in, uh, in and outside of the criminal justice system. Right. Now, this is more personal to you, this question. What more do you think the Schizophrenia Society of Canada should do to address the question of whether psychoses should be decriminalized? You do a lot already. You're involved in advocacy. What more, what else do you think you should do? Well, it's hard raising funds for Schizophrenia Society of Canada or the Provincial Schizophrenia Societies. I mean, schizophrenia is not a big sale. It's the most stigmatized of the mental illnesses. So we have a real challenge in terms of fund development. And if we did have the appropriate funding, uh, I would hire a policy person, a government relations person, to spend uh, their full time in Ottawa meeting with MPs and with senators and to address these uh, issues that we've been talking about today, plus access to treatment and, and, and early intervention, and to educate our politicians about the need and make a strong business case for what we've been talking about. So that would be my uh, first wish, is if our funding increased, uh, then we would hire a person full-time in Ottawa to handle government relations. Uh, I handle a lot of the media. I enjoy working with the media. Uh, but I do a lot of administrative work and, and try to give some support to the provincial schizophrenia societies as we develop literature such as Strengthening Families Together, Your Recovery Journey, which is a curriculum for people with schizophrenia or psychosis in terms of uh, how to promote their own journey of recovery, what that's all about, and also uh, responding to uh, family caregivers, um, and getting the latest information as uh, to how to address the fatigue and the compassion fatigue uh, that they experience. Chris, do you think we understand enough of what family caregivers are going through 
and what family members are going through and what people who are living with schizophrenia at home are going through. And whichever way you reply to that, do you think we need to listen to those people more intently and take more notice of them? What do you think? Well, if we're going to improve matters in Canada, if we are going to move towards a transformed mental health system uh, that is recovery-oriented, uh, we have to listen to and, and more than listen to uh, family caregivers. I mean, not every person that has a mental illness needs a caregiver. Uh, some do quite well in, uh, you know, in self-supporting. But for those who have more of an enduring or persistent uh, mental illness, uh, family caregiving uh, is a difficult work, and especially when it comes to family caregiving to someone with a mental illness, uh, you've, you've got the stigma that you have to deal with. And uh, oftentimes uh, families uh, live in shame thinking that they uh, did something to create the mental illness, which they didn't, or the, or the schizophrenia. And uh, the support, uh, respite support is not there. Um, and uh, so there is a lot of uh, grief. And until you've been in that situation, uh, it's very hard to identify with a family caregiver. But uh, any kind of uh, transformation of a mental health system involves both the patient and the, the, the family uh, because they're the ones with the lived experience. Uh, they know what works and doesn't work. And they, they just because <laughs> I'm biased in this direction, as mm-hmm. you very well know. But the fact is, they have a lot of experience, which could even be valuable to professionals. Uh, but certainly, when they talk about it, is I think a way of supporting the things that you, the society, are doing, and that's why this talk show, which we're just beginning, I think has a part to play, which is to give voice to family caregivers, family members, and the broader community. Um, That is not to say that we're going to shut off the professionals or the providers of social services, but rather bring them all together within this talk show. So now we've come, unfortunately, to the end of this very, for me, exciting and important episode early in the history of Um, schizophrenia community radio so first of all chris thank you thank you for sharing with us all all the insights and all the opinions and all your observations and on behalf of all of us all of us everyone's listening everybody who depends on this kind of thing uh all success to you in the important work of the schizophrenia society of canada And I want to say thank you to our listeners. And I also want to say that if anyone wants to send comments, ask questions, or participate in the show, here's the email address to use. docg at familycaregiversunite.org. So please join us for our next episode, same place, where we're going to be talking about criminal responsibility when schizophrenia harms others. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us for Schizophrenia Community Radio with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you for supporting Schizophrenia Community Radio. We hope you, too, have gained strength.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.